Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Kroll. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. And you might wonder, is it possible to break through the illusion of life and death? That's a really important question, and our guest has something to say about that. Can we open ourselves and our conscious awareness enough to truly understand the mysteries and magic of what we call life? And what if you could experience yourself expanding into divine consciousness, the field of love that we are connected by? Mm. I love these questions, and our guest today has three tips for happiness where you can immediately experience this joyful connection in your life. Our guest uses these lessons from his three near-death experiences to explain how you can participate in this empowering reality to change your world in this life and beyond. So I invite you to take a few deep breaths. Bring your awareness into this moment. Open your mind, connect with your heart, and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest. Robert Kopecki is an author, essayist, and Emmy-nominated art director. He designed the credits for Showtime's Weeds, art-directed Word World for PBS Kids, and has illustrated for the New York Times, Sports Illustrated, and many more. He contributes to Evolver.net, NewBuddhist.com, TheMindfulWord.com, and elsewhere. And he is the author of the book, How to Survive Life and Death, A Guide for Happiness in This World and Beyond. Welcome to the show, Robert. Thank you very much, Dr. Julie. It's, It's great to be here. Oh well, I'm. It's great to be anywhere, by the way. When you <laughs> when you have three near death experiences, you know. When you have three near death experiences, today is a gift, right? Yes, every moment. Yes, absolutely. Well, Robert, I'm really looking forward to getting into your conversation about your life and and what's what's really brought you to this place of writing this book. But first, I have a traditional question here on the show, and I love to ask my guests, "What is?" all things connected mean to you? Well, you know, it means something very specific to me as a multiple near-death experiencer because in each instance I was connected to this field of what I like to call divine consciousness, which is where everything comes out of. All expressions of life to me arise out of this field of divine consciousness. So everything is connected at this elemental level. Uh, and totally interdependent on uh, everything else, too. Mm. You know, I love those words that you put together, and I would love for you to explain that more because some of our listeners may never have heard you or anyone put those three words together for actually the field of divine consciousness. You know, we we talk a lot about our divinity. We talk about consciousness. We talk about the realms, and I love how you use it in your book. Why don't you, can you speak a little bit more about that field of divine consciousness and how you see that? 
Well, well, sure. Yeah, I mean, most people, I think, in general, we get this sense of consciousness as being something that comes out of us, you know, that we, that we yeah. create. And that's the, the materialist's view of it, is that um, each brain is kind of a generator that is generating conscious awareness of the world. Um, in the three near-death experiences that I had, um, when I was essentially, you know, cut off from my physical experience of life and my physical experience of thought and awareness, and I found myself completely enfolded in a you know, continuing consciousness and this field of divine consciousness that that uh, sort of wrapped wrapped me, I expanded into, I felt a part of a larger uh, mind, a greater intelligence. Uh, the kind of awareness that I have as a thinking human, that kind of serial thought, you know, that the, the kind of uh, hamster, hamster wheel in my mind ended, and I, I felt as though I were um, thinking in unison with everything else in a way. And so uh, my experience was of this field of consciousness as being the, uh, the, the emptiness or the unrealized uh, field from which everything arises, that everything uh, expresses itself out of, if you know what I mean. And I so do. all of us are expressions of consciousness in human form uh, right now. Mm, I appreciate that, the unrealized field where everything arises. That's really beautiful. So let's give the listeners a little bit of your backstory before we dig into the lessons of these three near-death experiences. You've mentioned three near-death experiences. I myself had one at a very young age, and so I can relate with that. But so many others will always ask me, what is that like? And how can we have that experience without dying? And what, you know, so let's give a little bit of a backstory. You not only had one near-death experience, you had three. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, and I think that people, especially people who are interested in near-death experience, are always a little surprised to um, to hear in the course of my story because all of this didn't really crystallize for me until middle age, until I was you know about fifty, forty-five, or fifty. Um, I grew up in San Diego, California, and I like a lot of people who have sort of spiritual conversions, so to speak. I came from a, a difficult back. A difficult background, a difficult childhood, and compared to some people, my karma was great. You know, my my childhood was a cakewalk compared to some people in the world. But it was it was rough growing up, and I ended up leaving home at an early age and uh, starting to travel a lot, kind of uh, looking for something. I was never quite sure exactly what it was I was looking for, and I don't think that I particularly found it. What I did find was uh, was a career uh, doing commercial art and uh, illustration and animation specifically. And so I grew into that and all of the kind of expectations and definitions uh, around that. I became an art teacher and, and was published in an art director and all of that kind of stuff and got caught up in you know the material aspects of, of life in that way. I had my first near-death experience as a as a result of a single car accident, and to, to date myself with it, uh, I was fussing around with my cassette deck. <laughs> my cassette tape had been eaten by my cassette deck, and so that's how long ago that was. 
and I ended up driving into a telephone pole and having an out-of-body experience, which I can elaborate on a little bit uh, in a while. But uh, just to give you a sense of what happened uh, um, throughout the three in my life, there was no real support for near-death experiences in the 80s back then. There were no real heroes of it. It wasn't, uh, uh, there may have been an in search of with Leonard Nimoy or something like that, that, you know, about near death experience, but that was about it. There, there were no, uh, uh, there were no, you know, real famous people, people like Dr. Kenneth Ring or, or Raymond Moody, uh, PMH Atwater were writing their books, but I didn't know anything about them. And I didn't know anybody who had had a near death experience. And so I just returned to my regular life and uh, I kept working, um, you know, in the material world, so to speak. Um, things didn't really work uh, exactly uh, right for me from then on in a lot of ways. I think that I had probably kind of broken through to something that caused a certain sort of unsettling. I'd had an experience with a, um, uh, an aunt of mine that was, I was very close to, and I was present at her death, at her bedside when she died. And it, it knocked me out of my tracks a little bit. And I became, um, I started kind of acting out in life. I, I became a, an underworld denizen, so to speak. I moved to New York <laughs> City and I lived the downtown lifestyle. And uh, that led to my second near-death experience, uh, where I essentially had a, a, a life review in that one. And still, uh, that did not change me completely. Uh, many people who have near-death experiences, once it happens, they're never the same, and they experience this kind of uh, transformation. It wasn't really the case for me. I, my ego was kind of tenacious, and uh, it wasn't until after my third near-death experience, six or seven years after that, in the late 90s, it's almost 20 years ago now since my last one, um, and and still a couple of years after that, uh, where uh, I was I was beaten up by some skinheads, and uh, ended up having an experience, uh, an afterlife experience, where I was forced back into uh, this life against my will, which is sort of another common motif. But within a, a couple of years of that, I had this kind of crystallization in my life. Things were not working terrifically well. I wasn't happy with uh, the definitions that my life had given me. And um, I just had kind of a shift. I began meditating and reading and studying and kind of became a person that I had not been up until that point. And in after quite a bit of meditation, these experiences really crystallized within me and I began writing about it. Mm. That's, the, that's the back story. <laughs> you talk about... Um... Really, all three of your experiences are very unique and different. And then you talk about and write about how they didn't change you. And I'm just wondering, um, you mentioned this tenacious ego part, this caught up in the material world part. What do you think um, when you just witness that shift inside of you later coming into this crystallization like you talked about with these experiences? Um, what what is that about our awakening this transformation of this human spirit because i think as i read your book you got it now <laughs> like you got it so what 
what is that? And why do you think your three were so different than what others are writing about now? Uh, well, thank you. I hope I got it. It's three pretty <laughs> butt kickings, you know, that some people don't require quite so much. But mm. I, I think it's interesting in that, um, in, you know, if we are eternal beings, which I know that we are from my experiences, I have no doubt about that whatsoever. Why do we have to die at all? You know, mm. what exactly is the point of all that? And the fact is that, that uh, this transformation um, the event that occurred for me at that point in my life was something of a death itself. And I had experienced a number of those, and we, we all do in our lives when somebody important to us dies or when we lose a relationship or we lose a job or uh, something that, ha that resets us to zero, so to speak. Death is a, an experience of absolute humility where for me all the things that I thought I was and that I thought I was supposed to be the person that I'd convinced myself I was 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 apparently no longer true it was no longer the case it wasn't viable in my life anymore and I was left with this kind of um in this place of kind of complete authenticity you know where I really was just my spiritual essence and not anything that I had projected uh, out into the world or had projected onto me by the world. And from that point on, my life completely changed. And I began uh, seeking, um, you know, what everything actually meant or who I could actually be or uh, what life uh, is in, in lieu of... Uh, of not having a great teacher, it was the three uh, near-death experiences that in meditation uh, kind of arose to give me these these lessons where the first out-of-body experience gave me this lesson of perspective on our lives that I really am a spiritual entity riding around, apparently, riding around in this physical body. and And so I look at life that way now. And I experience other people in that way too, as divine consciousness expressing itself through these physical forms, but underlying it being this spiritual energy, uh, so mm -hmm. to speak. And uh, in my second one, I had this, uh, this uh, life review where I was shown these scenes from my life. Um, they were not the greatest hits. They were kind of these pivotal mm. moments. But I was shown them in a way where I realized that within the presence of that etern the eternal moment that we're speaking in right now, that we're always living in, that's when I have the ability to sort of reach in and change things and make things happen. That through presence of the moment, I can make uh, whatever cause and effect is going to happen in the rest of my life come to pass, right? Mm. And, and then in the last one where I was forced back into life, it was clear that it, I had not done something that I was supposed to do. And so I got this sense of a purpose that I hadn't had before. But all three of those realizations based on this kind of absolute humility, where the the trappings of the material world were out of the way completely, and all that was left was just simply uh, the soul that I am, 
Uh, and this perspective, this new perspective on life and this new sense of the present moment and this, this new understanding that I had something to do that only I could do. I love those three lessons, Robert. Those are beautiful. And those two words, humility and authenticity. And I, I before we, we leave this place um, and go into deeper into those lessons, um, I just want to reflect on what you said. And, and pardon me for being kind of personal here, but it, it seemed like listening to your story, everything changed after those near-death experiences, but it was like you focused on the external. Um, when I read your story, it was like you had this near-death experience and you changed things outside of yourself. And then a few years after your third one, you went inward to that internal exploration and meditation and other things to really f- to f- to really go searching for these pearls that came forward for you. Is yeah, that- no, that's that's exactly right. I, you know, I'll, I say that I did not change, and and in many outward ways, I didn't change after the near death experience, but I did. I, you know, on a, on a a fundamental spiritual level, there was a great change that occurred in me. I wasn't really willing to look inward at it, uh, though. Yes. You're right. I was continuing to look outside of myself. And when I finally got to the point, and meditation really helped me realize this, that everything that I was looking at was part and parcel of the same divine conscious expression. You know, that everything is... It's pantheism, basically. Everywhere I look is the face of God, so to speak. Then I realized that the answer was inside of me, too, that I had actually been sitting on my treasure box the whole time, so to speak, to use a a Joseph Campbell metaphor. You know, you're sitting there waiting for something to happen, and then you stand up and you realize you're sitting on a box, and you open the box and your treasure is inside it, and you've been sitting on it all along. And that's kind of what I experienced. Mm. I love that metaphor. And yeah, you your writing does help us understand that, that there were these, these shifts happening, and yet your focus was not on that treasure box at that time. But you did make significant changes in your life, but they were outside of you. So thanks for clarifying that, because I think that's another important piece of your story. And really helpful for others who haven't had this experience Um, because it wasn't that you weren't literally um, changed. It was just that your focus was not internal, which is interesting to me. So, so the one piece that I love and we'll, we'll go into those three lessons in your book after we, we take our break here, but the, the one piece that I love that came through in your writing of this book is your relationship with love, your definitions of love, your your understanding of love, and and really how that flows. And there's really so much beauty and literally poetic art that comes through your understanding of love. And so, with this, you had one. Um, one quote that talked about the expression and the evolution back toward love. I wonder if you could just in the the big picture sense, instead of going into love itself, because we'll do that after the break, but tell us a little bit more about what this means, this expression and evolution back toward love. 
Yeah, well, I think, you know, people are looking for a reason for all of this, you know. Um, and to me, the, the thing that, uh, that uh, struck me after kind of years of study and service and, and, uh, and this, this acceptance of humility and not conflating it with humiliation, a lot of people get them mixed up the wrong way, but uh, being humble in the sense of being open, you know, of being a beginner whose bowl is empty, uh, kind of, kind of thing. Um, what I realized was that I'm here to express myself, as is a flower or a bee or an artist or anything they, we see manifesting in the world is an expression of consciousness. Yeah. And every person has this, you know, unique and interesting and often entertaining way of expressing uh, themselves and what's important to them. Um, that's one of the essential purposes of life, I believe. Another is this kind of evolution that we're all going through, this spiritual evolution that I am personally going through in my life as I'm learning more and more and experiencing more and more and hopefully gaining some wisdom as I go along on the larger scale, on the kind of this kind of eternal scale or karmic scale, uh, we're carrying all that forward, and we're carrying all of that forward together, too, collectively speaking, uh, as an expression of life on this planet. And this planet itself, I believe, is an expression and is in a state of spiritual evolution also. Uh, so those things lead us to love, which really, in, in many ways, is synonymous uh, to my idea of my sense of divine consciousness. You know, they're very... They're pretty much the same thing, you know? Yeah, so consciousness, you did make that analogy in, in the book of of really this divine consciousness and and this field of love. I, I have all of your adjectives written down. They're so beautiful. But that it being the same thing, whether you call it God or or Buddha or anything else. So you you did a really good good job with that. I appreciate how you did express that. And this idea of expression is just so relaxing to hear. It's like it makes us feel open like, oh, I just get to express who I am. I get to express being love. I get to express my authenticity. And and boy, that makes our bodies relax and go, yes. Right, yeah. And and the the funny thing is that what you need to do is is remove most of that the impetus to express yourself that we often have, which is this kind of prideful or self-enhancing or self-promoting or something like that, you know. It goes back to uh coming from a place of humility, of kind of mm -hmm. not caring what other I don't mean to put it that way exactly, not caring what other people uh, think of you and simply being who you are. If you're uh, carrying on certain principles, if you're living by certain principles, those being largely kindness and forgiveness and surrender, which are my three tips for happiness, uh, then you're able to um, you're able to express yourself just with kind of an ease and a comfort, and you know, like it doesn't matter very much. It, it, one of the great things that happened to me after my big transformation is that I just didn't matter that much anymore, you know? 
Yes. In kind of a physical way, in terms of the material matter, I, it just didn't matter that much anymore. I, I realized that a great deal of, of my experience of the world is happening only between these six inches from one ear to the other, you know? And then, yeah. And in the big picture of the world, that's not a very big space. <laughs> Nobody well, you know, else is really aware of that, you know. Yes, exactly. And you, you really help in the book, really help us look at that self-centered place, which really is self-criticism, self-judgment, and a lot of other things, into this whole new way of being. So you have a beautiful prescription, but we're going to take a quick break. And after the break, we're going to talk about your three tips. We're going to talk so much more about love and really how to be this expression and the spiritual evolution that we're talking about. We are here with author Robert Kopecki. You're listening to The Dr. Julie Show. We'll be right back. The Empower Meditation Channel. Non-stop meditation music 24 hours a day in the new Empower Radio app. Music to empower your meditation, help you relax, sleep, or provide a calm background while you work. The Empower Meditation Channel is interruption-free. Listen now with the Empower Radio app, free in the App Store, or listen online at empower.fm. Soothe your soul, calm your mind. The Empower Meditation Channel. So you see, son, good manners are very, very important. Someday, many years from now, when you're a grown-up, you'll be a man. And when you are, you should be a gentleman. Do you want me to go through it one more time? Yes. Yes, please. Yes, please. Exactly. Always say please, thank you, you're welcome, and excuse me. Sit up straight, hold doors open for ladies. If a door's shut, then knock first. Don't burp, don't swear, don't speak with your mouthful, don't reach across people's plates, keep your elbows off the table. What tape? And don't interrupt. While we're at it, don't stare, don't use foul language, don't call people names, but do remember people's names. Always share your toys, play nice, and cover your mouth when you cough or sneeze. On the bus, give up your seat to anyone who has trouble standing. Bottom line, treat others the way you'd like to be treated. Got it? Got it. And stop picking your nose. Most parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. But spending just two minutes twice a day making sure they brush their teeth is easier and could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. For fun two-minute videos to watch while brushing, visit 2min2x.org. That's 2min2x.org. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Mouths, Healthy Lives, and the Ag Council. Kids have the craziest ideas about food. Where do they get this stuff? Like eating Brussels sprouts helps you hit home runs. And eating carrots gives you x-ray vision? It's nuts. And I honestly have no idea where my daughter got this notion that broccoli is the official food of professional ballerinas. Kids, the only reason my four-year-old loves cantaloupe is because he's convinced it comes from the moon. Run, small step for man, lots of potassium for mankind. And the other day when my oldest came up to me and said, Mom, will eating peas and carrots really help me pull off a fakie frontside ollie with a twist? I look him in the eye and say, it can't hurt, honey. It can't hurt. Moms everywhere are finding creative ways to help their kids eat five servings of fruit and vegetables a day. Get ideas, get involved, get going at letsmove.gov. Brought to you by the USDA, HHS, and the Ad Council. Driving has a rhythm all its own. Don't wreck it with a text. Before you get behind the wheel, silence your phone. 
or better yet, designate a texter. For more text-free driving tips, visit StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Empowering you for a better life. This is Empower Radio. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Hello, I'm Dr. Julie Kroll. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and maybe even listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Also, stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we can continue the conversation and always tune in to goodofthewhole.com where we look at humanity's creative potential, embody the experience of our wholeness, and ground the force of love. Again, that's goodofthewhole.com. Today, we're here with Robert Kapecki. We're talking about how to survive life and death, a guide for happiness in this world and beyond. And wow, this book has some beautiful, beautiful prescriptions for life in it, how to survive life and death. Robert, right before the break, we were talking about this self-centeredness, and I just want to pick up with that for a moment because I think it's one of the important lessons that you talk on. Uh, talk about in the book is really about how when we're focused on ourselves, even with pain and suffering, we, you know, really, I love how you equate it with negativity and, and all kinds of things that go what we would describe as wrong in our life is when we're really focused on ourselves, we're so inward and, and it's poor me and, and look what's going on in my life. And that simple shift toward life and the collective and others around us with this beautiful medium of love that we're going to talk about in a second, that simple shift can change everything. Can you explain that just a little bit more in your own words? Um, yeah, you know, I, the shift, I think, really is a matter of identifying oneself with uh, positive things. I mean, it's, it's like a, a very old uh, Dale Carnegie kind of a lesson, but when, you, uh, when you're uh, shuffling about in, in uh, misery and suffering and complaints and negativity and all of that stuff, that's selfishness. Lots of times you don't think of it in that sense because you think being selfish is gratifying yourself somehow. But in a weird way, that kind of, that's a kind of a negative gratification. I lived for many years identifying myself at that level. And then something happened. I broke open, and the, those, those um, definitions fell away from me, and I was left kind of like a, an, a, an egg yolk without a shell, kind of, you know, just, just simply what I am. But what that was was able to begin to identify with a higher set, a more positive uh, set of experiences and attitudes about life. So now I kind of think of it as being kind of down around my knees. You know, the the bad stuff doesn't go away. Uh, I experience all kinds of awful things all the time, like we all do. We all have to deal with. But I don't identify myself with them anymore. I identify myself with a sort of a joyful abundance and this field of love that I see presenting itself through all the forms, uh, all the friendships and uh, many of the places. And we all, we all know how food works with love, you know, 
And so I identify myself at that level, and I no longer need to experience uh, um, that darker, more difficult aspect of selfishness. I, I also uh, tend to be much more open to other people and to what other people need and to how I can make any situation better rather than, you know, what I can get from it for myself, that kind of thing. I appreciate how you you speak of identifying with it because it really is um, creating that identification that makes all the difference in the world. So thanks for that explanation. Yeah, and, okay, and so, can I can I yeah, go into that go just ahead. a little bit too? Because my in my my out of body experience where I saw my dead body in a car and people loading it into an ambulance and taking it away and stuff like that. Um, that has carried over into um, my meditation practice, too, because I am, and we all are, in a sense, a witness to what's going on in our lives. And, and if we can identify with that part of ourselves where there's that sort of calm voice of reason, when we're not caught up in the machinations of our mind, then who are we at that time? That's what I talk, talk about as being our authentic self. You know, when mm-hmm. there's something going on that you don't want to think about, you say, I don't even want to think about that. And you don't have to think about that. So you can identify with being the witness, with being uh, caught up in this sort of a higher transcendent level of love and positivity, and you can relate everything else uh, in kind of a more appropriate way. You don't have to own it. You don't have to be it anymore. You can identify with this kind of genius for living that we are all part and parcel of by our connection with divine consciousness, if that Mm. makes sense. It absolutely does. Thank you. And it said so beautifully. So let's talk about this divine consciousness because you talk a lot about this field of being, the river of love. You talk a lot about flow. You use that word a lot. Flow within the sustaining sustaining medium of love. I love that, by the way. I want to come back to medium of love. I love that terminology. And love is this, you, you talked about it, light as air. So anything in life that feels heavy is an obstacle to love. So here's a quote from you. The main job of life is to eliminate the obstacles that prevent our experience of love. The free flow of love into us, out of us, through us, and around us. So this experience of love, your whole book is imbued with that flow and experience of love. But I really appreciate how you use that word flow and how you're really teaching it from this perspective of letting it move in and around us. So let's let's talk about that love. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's there all the time, right? I mean, we all yes. know that it is because we all know that in the course of our life, in any given day, in any given moment, you can suddenly be caught up in this kind of joyful experience where there's a beautiful piece of music or you see something uh, very touching happen between people that you don't know or there's a gorgeous uh, sunset or something. Uh, You see a a piece of art or a piece of um, of some kind of um, invention of somebody's or a performance of somebody's and you recognize that that is an expression of love. And that there is this force and this quality in 
within life at its, its very basic fabric of life all the time. It's always there. And it's yes. only when we are caught up in our own stuff, when we're down in that lower realm, kind of, you know, we're creating obstacles uh, to it, to being able to witness it, to being able to experience it, to being able to allow it to carry us and, and allowing it to show us. Uh, because love appears in the forms of things. I mean, again, you think about food, you know, a beautiful dish, a beautiful... You think about flowers, you think about performances, you think about buildings. Uh, a big corporate steel and glass tower, it does not have a lot of love going on, right? Mm-hmm. But a, a beautiful sort of a, a quirky, idiosyncratic home that's full of nooks and crannies and decks and, and uh, green space around it, that does have love. And so the forms of life itself is, is uh, they're always showing us and always being shown uh, by love, how much love is in it, how much love we can appreciate within it. Watching people who are, um, who are troubled, you can see that the love is struggling to come through. And so you can then compassionately identify with the people more effectively and help them to sort of coax or realize uh, love. So it's, always there. It's, it's always just not even under the surface. It's always just laying out in the open all the time. Yeah. It's just a matter of our allowing ourselves to, um, to experience it and observe it. So one of the things to dive deeper, just a little deeper, is you use a word that I've never heard anybody use but myself because I've used this a lot when I work with clients and talk about co-creating our life, you talk about the medium of love. Like we're co-creating our life with the medium of love. And of course, I appreciate that as an artist. Using that terminology really helps us understand how we can co-create our life through this medium of love. Where did you come up with that and, and speak more about that medium? Well, I, I am an artist. I, I, didn't, I never had to learn how to draw when I was a kid, and, and so that was my karma. That's what led me into the career path uh, that I was so deeply involved in for so much of my life. Um, and so it would just seemed a very apt metaphor to me. Once I began to really experience it, too, I realized that in terms of my uh, creative practice, that I was a little bit more like like a transistor radio that you place in a windowsill right in the right spot to try to get the best signal coming in, you know? Yeah, yeah. If I could do my very best artwork whenever I wanted, I would do it all the time. But that's not necessarily the case. It is this kind of divine inspiration and making oneself kind of a channel uh, to this and being able to plug into this kind of flow of direction that is just a naturally occurring thing. It feels great when you're doing it, and everybody knows what I'm talking about. You know, when you're, yep. when you're on the beam, it's nice, it's wonderful, and you're experiencing love, and if you're creating something, that's going into your creation, uh, too, yes. you know. Mm. 
I appreciate that so much. Okay, we better turn this to your three um, beautiful and amazing tips here before we run out of time because they're really helpful too. You talk about radical kindness, radical forgiveness, and radical surrender. Let's talk about kindness first. Sure, yeah. Th- I, these are really boiling it down. This is this is what you need to be happy, okay? Yes. <laughs> are you ready? Yep, yep. Uh, Because the radical kindness is, has a lot to do with what we were just talking about, with the yep. perception of love and the realization of love. And I like to present this to people as a challenge to go out and just try it for a day or two. Be as authentically uh, and sincerely kind to people as you can be. It's not all that hard. Get yourself out of the way and just open your heart and be kind to everybody and watch what happens. Because if you've never done it, if you've never actually consciously tried it, you will be amazed by the transformation in your life. You will realize almost instantaneously this fabric of love that's present. And synchronicities begin to happen. You discover that there are all kinds of allies and friends you didn't know you had. You'll you'll walk into a store with this kind of love out in front of you, almost proactively holding it out in front of you, this, this kindness, radical kindness. And when you look around, you'll catch somebody's eye, who Rumi, the Sufi poet, calls the friend. Right, You recognize this reflection of the divine amongst us, amongst other people, and you'll get these looks returned to you like, uh-huh, okay, <laughs> there you are, you know, and suddenly you're on this team that you didn't know existed. It's made of love, and it's discovered by the practice of radical kindness. Love it. Love it. Okay, yes, it is the expression of that love that we're talking about. Radical kindness is just that organic, authentic expression of that love. Then we move to radical forgiveness. Radical forgiveness has to do with, with, um, uh, with this aspect of the um, expression of divine consciousness through people's forms. You know, we carry this kind of package of information that is our karma, our life experience, uh, the traumas or the triumphs that have happened to us in our life, and we're expressing that all the time. So when you, when you witness a person who's maybe upset, lots of times you know that they're not upset at you. They're upset because of something else that's going on with them. And so if you get yourself out of the picture, you can begin to, to witness the struggle that they're involved in. And you, you can open your heart and be compassionate towards them and forgive them for being the jerk that they are. Right now. This is radical forgiveness. Allow them to express what they have to express and just be present for them with as much radical kindness as you can be. Um, also, some things, sometimes terrible things are going to happen. People are going to do terrible things to you. And, that, and that's their karma. They need to be evil or, you know, selfish. And you just, again, you just happen to be in the way at that point. And so you can either allow their energy and their karma to define you and carry that around, defining yourself by it, or you can radically forgive them, let go of it, and be who you are, actually, without having to carry their baggage around for them, and hopefully show up for them in a way that's going to help alleviate or ameliorate what they're going through, too, so that they're not going to uh, 
uh, keep projecting um, that hurt on other people. Yeah. That's radical forgiveness. That's what it's about. Even, even, you know, just walking along and somebody steps in front of you and all, you know, all spontaneously, I think, what the heck is that person doing? Aren't they paying attention? They're probably looking at their cell phone. Why don't they pay, you know, <laughs> they'll be <laughs> off and running for a while. Yep. Carrying around it's, their baggage. Yep. It's like, hey, yep. ring a bell right then. Radical forgiveness. What are you talking uh, about? What about the yeah. people you just stepped in front of? You know, <laughs> drop it. Let it go. So that brings up a good point because you talk about self-forgiveness too. And we have to own our stuff and we have to forgive forgive ourselves just like we're doing this radical forgiveness of others. Absolutely, yeah. And and, uh, it's so easy for us to be difficult on ourselves. Um, That's just the nature of the human ego, I think, and the human experience. That's the, those are the obstacles to love. Lots of times that I'm talking about, it's all there already. It's just that I'm keeping myself from it for some reason. I'm not feeling like I deserve it or I'm sabotaging uh, something because of old habits or old patterns that I have in my life. And, um, <clears throat> you know, it's just a matter of, uh, of allowing yourself to be who you are knowing that you're not nearly as bad as you could be, <laughs> that there are lots of people who are much worse, and, and not holding yourself to you know, some kind of ideal. It's all a matter of, uh, of striving towards ideals, of not personifying them all the time. I like that, personifying. And when we stop judging ourselves and being so harsh with ourselves, so unloving and 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 just we terrorize ourselves sometimes when we stop yeah. that we we notice naturally that we stop judging others as well it's it's kind of yeah a, and that's what you call the illusion of separateness right and at the top of your show you talk about destroying that illusion the, yeah. the judgment and the comparison uh, those create the illusion of separateness yeah You know, when I realize that as an authentic human, I am simply living the best way that I can, and I see everybody else in that way, I suddenly start to realize that uh, I'm a lot like that uh, that, uh, woman who's nothing like me, apparently, or I'm a lot like that child or that guy, or, you know, we're really all thinking and feeling very much the same thing. We all have very much the same hopes and dreams and Mm. wishes in this life. Yeah. Okay, I just, I'm like resting in this awareness of of all this love oozing through these conversations. Here we have (laughs) radical surrender. And I'm just thinking about this designing intelligence of the universe as this field of divine consciousness, as this medium of love that we're talking about. So let's, let's talk about radical surrender and how do we let go and really work with these forces that are already here all the time. Yeah, it seems so counterintuitive, doesn't it? I mean, you know, life always presents itself as as a problem that needs to be solved. There must be something I can do. (laughs) There must be something I can do about this. Yeah. Oftentimes there isn't. There's nothing that you can do about it. And when you recognize that, then you realize that everything that you need is kind of there already in many ways. When I look back on my life through all the travails that I had to go through and all the beatings that I had to take and the near-death experiences and all that stuff, 
you know, I, I came through it all right. I actually came through it, I, I like to think better. And even the hardest parts of my life were instructive in that way. And I'm growing all the time. I have, the, I have more potential now than I feel like I ever did. You know, it's, it's always there. So I love the uh, Native American metaphor. They say if you're uh, getting tired rowing upstream, turn around. <laughs> because we're being carried. You're being carried by this whole magical reality. And if nothing else, my three near-death experiences informed me, uh, this is magic. If it's not enough for you to be on a planet in outer space, believe me, our lives are part of a much bigger plan or a much bigger invisible machinery that um, radical surrender can engage us into. And you'll start to see synchronicities. You'll start to see meaningful coincidences happening all of the time. When you release and you allow yourself just to be who you are and be where you are in your life, that everything is really okay, then you're much more likely to uh, run into the great opportunities or meet the most wonderful people. Uh, that really is the way it works. It seems crazy, but <laughs> it's true. It's really yeah. true. I mean, but there's, you know, the, uh, faith without works, right? I mean, you do need to be present in a principled way. You need to be showing up for people and to make yourself of service and to be doing no harm and, you know, living kind of the best kind of life that, that you're capable of. And life will reflect that back to you. Mm. Beautiful words, beautiful reflections. And this, so, so I, I want to ask you one more question when we're talking about this flow and really like the river, turn around, just go with the flow. We're being, we are being um, guided and, I don't remember your words, but it was a beautiful way of saying, let go and surrender because life is moving through us, in us, as us. So after these three near-death experiences and, and what you've learned, what would you say to our listeners about the ego? Because so many people have, you know, talked about literally transcending the ego or destroy the ego or let go mm -hmm. of the ego or right. but we That's have an ego we That's have a separate self yeah. the death to the ego what well, mm -hmm. let's, let's just talk a little bit about that what's your wisdom about what do we do with this part of us that is here as a separate self and how do we surrender into this greater self of who we are well, I, you know, I think it's part of the form of being a human being that we have to crash and burn a few times ourselves. I can't really tell you how to uh, dismantle your ego. Uh, that's something that you discover for yourself. And hopefully you realize it at those moments of those, in those humbling moments, you know, in those times when life is, is uh, showing you that you're not everything that you thought you were and that you don't have to be everything that you thought you were supposed to be. You know, um, I can tell you these, I can tell you these things that I've discovered for myself the hard way, but unfortunately, most people have to learn uh, the same thing the hard way. If you have the awareness that difficult times, that humbling times are sources of great power in your life, really, 
then uh, you're ahead of the game. You're not fighting it as much. Uh, but if you are struggling, like I did, to maintain a hold on some sense of yourself as being in charge of everything, uh, you're you're playing a bad hand. It's going to be very, very rough, you know. Uh, so it's kind of difficult for me to go beyond that in terms of advising you how to, uh, how to escape um, the difficulties necessary to lose your ego. Uh, but I think meditation is a real good way because if you can sit in a place of meditation and witness those crazy thoughts about what you have to do and what people think of you and what someone did to you and how you have to be somewhere and all that kind of stuff, you can begin to, um, you can begin to dissociate yourself uh, from that sort of false narrative that the ego uh, creates for us. Mm. That's a good a good phrase. The f- the false narrative as we are looking at we are so much more than we think we are, and we're not as we're not as great and as big and as amazing as we think we are, and we're so much more than we think we are. Yes, and so, yeah, there's a yeah. Marianne Williamson thing about that, right? You know that that's we're really afraid of becoming what we can become. Yeah, our potential, our creative potential is unlimited. So. Robert, this has been a delightful conversation, and I so appreciate you sharing your life experiences with us today and and what you bring through this book, How to Survive Life and Death. And in in a minute or less, is there any one thing that you didn't get to say to our listeners today that you would like to say today? Uh, No, I don't think there's any one thing that I'd like to say, except for that I love you all. Go forth and do good things. Be kind. Try radical kindness, you know. Go out and yeah. give it a try because it is really fantastic. It totally changed my life. I used to have very little relationship with the outside world in many ways. And and, uh, and now some people think that I'm the mayor of my neighborhood, you know. <laughs> it's, it's just because I, I get involved with people and, and we have a good time talking to each other and experiencing one another. So recognize the eternal in one another and enjoy it. Mm, yes, that radical kindness of of two day a two day challenge. Two days go out yeah. and everyone you meet be kind and and, and not syrupy inauthentic kindness but really just no. be the love that you are and right. let it let it shine and emanate from from within. No mm-hmm. gossip, no sarcasm. That's a big one. There you go. No judgment. No sarcasm. (laughs) Oh, thank you for being with us today, Robert. I really appreciate all the wisdom that you've shared. Thank you so much, Julie. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. you. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. You've been listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. And here's a quote from Robert. Love is clearly and constantly revealing itself to you in every form of everybody and everything you interact with. Mm, Love, love, love that. Thanks for tuning in with us today. And remember, together, we're creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now.